we may create tools depending on what persona needs what tool and where they're going to use it. So the sales reps, maybe they need like a, a, a slick mobile app where they have just the right nuggets of information in just the right places. And we've actually designed the whole workflow based on their activity. The big question is, how can you fix and transform your organization's most important foundation, your software, into an asset which allows you to become better every single day? Each department is at its best when it can smoothly, efficiently, and productively operate. And to do that, you need to pay attention to the lifeblood of your organization, your software. The custom software creation geniuses at Architect Now are presenting this podcast as a way to help leaders think more strategically about their software and to roadmap what needs to happen in order to be at the top of their game. No, this podcast is not going to scramble your brain by talking about DevOps or API calls. Our goal on this show is to make you better by giving you the high-level insights that you need so you can better make decisions that will not only be cost-effective, but will help your team on an intangible level as well as a technical one. Welcome to Newsflash, you're a software company. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Newsflash, your software company. I am one of your hosts, Corey Durkin, and along with me are Alex Will, Don Jacobs-Meyer, and Kevin Gross-Niklaus from Architect Now. And in today's episode, we are going to be walking through a live example of a business owner trying to solve a problem and wondering what's available in the world of custom software. You've heard us on previous episodes discuss that this is not 2005, and this is not your grandmother's software. And very often, you do not have to build a piece of software from scratch in order to create uh, a solution to the problem that you have. So the solution or the problem that we're gonna, uh, going to discuss in, in today's episode is in the distribution world. And it's a, it's a world that I know uh, very well. Um, uh, we're, we're going to be talking about um, a the proverbial alcohol distributor, the fine wine distributing company. And if you think about, um, you know, as you're listening to this, picture what problems you have in your organization or in your business, because we're going to kind of walk you through a conversation of the problem and solution when it comes to custom software for uh, an alcohol distributor, but I want you to take a minute and, and think about some of the problems that you have uh, that could be solved as you're listening to our discussion today. You know, what are some of the inefficiencies? What are some of those parts of your day-to-day -day workflow that just really drive you crazy and you go, you know what, I just wish I could wave a magic wand and make this easier. And if I could make this easier for myself or for my directors or for a certain part of my organization, I would be uh, much better off. So the, the, the example uh, of this distributor is um, you've got, a, you've, you've got a, a, a company that distributes wine, right? So normally what happens is you have suppliers. Suppliers are, you know, uh, Budweiser, the makers of uh, all, the, all the Pinot Noirs that you see on the shelves. And then those suppliers uh, send their product to distributors. And then the distributors um, are the ones who actually uh, take that product and put it into the restaurants and into the retail stores. And so these uh, distributors exist across uh, all different industries from HVAC and plumbing to food to uh, wine. And one of the biggest issues 
if I can put on my uh, wine distributor hat here for a moment, one of the biggest issues that I have as a wine distributor is I've got sales reps that are out every single day uh, talking to restaurants, talking to retail stores. And I have sales reps that they're, they're usually covering somewhere around 100 accounts um, and each account has a different volume. So you've got your A, B, C, and D accounts. Uh, you know, your A accounts are the ones you want to see every week. Bs are ones you want to see every two weeks. C accounts are accounts you might want to see whenever you can. And the D accounts you're not going to uh, really uh, call on as much at all or, or ever see in person. Um, the, the reason that the classification is important and the reason that this uh, conversation is, is so important as, as a business owner is because um, in my industry as a wine distributor, um, uh, it's very antiquated. The, the stores, all of our retailers want us in the stores. They want my sales reps in the store to do inventory for them, to be able to see what's going on on the shelf. So it's not a scenario where I can go remote. I have to send my sales reps out. Now, my sales reps are out all day long. They're driving around, they're taking orders, they're talking to stores. And their biggest issue is they're tracking a million different variables. They're tracking their personal goals how close they are to goal. They're tracking um, their incentives. So are there specific products they could be selling to be making extra commissions and how close are they to those commissions? They are tracking the goals that they have for the week, the month, the year in terms of these are the SKUs that I need to sell. And um, it's very, very challenging for my sales reps to sit down and plan out how they're going to approach each week because there's so many different variables. And you have to calculate, um, you know, making sure I get to my A accounts once a week, making sure that I'm pushing the right products, that I'm presenting the right products to uh, each customer, and um, making all of that fit into a nine to five workday where I'm out in my car driving around and approaching uh, clients is, is really challenging. So as a business owner, I'm sitting here going, okay. I wonder if there's a way that I can start to attack this problem and, and not have to pay an arm and a leg for a piece of custom software that is built from the ground up. How do I go about that? Because my magic wand moment, the moment that I want to, uh, to, to get to is to be able to wave the magic wand and say, okay, every single morning, uh, every single Monday morning, a, a program, my sales reps can log into this program and it will show them A to Z, um, here's what you need to do for the week. Here's your route on Monday, here's your route on Tuesday, and, and, and this is what you need to focus on in each customer and at each you know, a, a, a part of your week. This is what I need to focus on um, in order to hit my numbers. And so I'm sitting there as a business owner going, man, if I could wave, uh, wave a magic wand and have a magic software that could produce all of that, wouldn't I be in great shape? Because my sales reps sitting down and planning that out themselves doesn't seem to work. Either they won't do it or they're not motivated enough or it's too, uh, it's too time intensive or whatever. So Don, if, if, if I'm sitting there trying to figure that out, what are my options in terms of like, where do I start? If, I've, if I'm saying, hey, you know, I, I think there's an opportunity to, to wave this magic wand and, and, and make this happen and it would be incredible if it did. Where the heck do I start trying to solve that kind of problem? It's a great problem. Um, because 
I think we lose sight of the fact that there is two large things happening here. There is the logistics, which is sort of field service, and then there's sales. And while at times they may overlap, there's also meaningful times where they don't as far as what are you really doing and how are you incentivized to do sales and or field service in a given moment. So there's tons of tools that facilitate, you know, sales and field service. Um, there are a smaller list that are sort of off the shelf, like we've talked about in the past, that can do both in one way or another. So the first thing that I would be interested in understanding or asking is, is this simply a workflow that we're trying to facilitate for people that doesn't have any special sauce? We're just trying to sort of centralize and make people's lives easier. Or is there some special sauce in this that is going to be unique to this organization? Now, special sauce can mean a bunch of different things. Um, special sauce could, you know, some people could infer that, well, we have custom promotions that we offer our people internally. You know, do other organizations do that? Well, kind of. It may be a different, uh, you know, percentage or bonus structure, but, you know, commissions is not unique to one organization, right? So for me, that would be an example of something that's not secret sauce. But let's say, and I, I'm kind of taking the scenic route, but we're going to land this in a second. If you do have some secret sauce, say, where your organization has gone to the end to gamify all everything that a sort of sales distributor does and there's points and there's collectibles and there's, you know, like multiple, like multi, um, multiplier effects that take place. And there's other weird stuff that happens to create excitement. And that's kind of secret sauce, right? You know, there isn't going to be one standard tool that applies that gamification to all companies. So what we just described is the difference between searching for something off the shelf versus exploring how to build something from scratch. 100%. So, so in, in this example, let's say that while there may be some special sauce to some of the things that we do operationally, um, let's, let's assume that for the most part, there are three sets of data that are important and and don't change and are not incredibly volatile in the sense that the the data structures stay the same no matter what data set number one is logistics so i need to make sure that my sales reps have a route sheet no different than the drivers who deliver the product once it's sold uh, data set number one is i need to have my sales reps with a route sheet that allows them to hit their A and B accounts every single week, every single month in the intervals that I need them to hit them. And that's, again, that's 80 to 100 accounts that are all classified in A, B, C, or D. Uh, the second data set is goals for per account. So pulling from 
the sales numbers and being able to say, hey, your goal with you know XYZ wine store as an A account, you you're supposed to sell um, you know 25 cases of Budweiser to them by the end of the month, and you're only at three. We need I need to see that. I don't want to go looking for that. I want to have that pop up so that when my my sales rep is looking at that route sheet every single morning. Um, it shows, okay, your first stop is XYZ wine store. And here are the five things that you need to sell. Here's how close you are to those things. And then the third piece of information or the third data set is incentives. So these are, um, you know, a, a lot of times suppliers, my suppliers will support my sales reps with extra money and incentives if they hit a certain um, amount of volume sold or a certain type of, of product sold. So I want to be able to know, um, you know, how close that rep is to those numbers, because a lot of times my reps forget. And so they don't push stuff because they completely forget that they have options there. So I would love to see that on, um, on uh, you know, on this piece of software. So any, any thoughts on that? And feel free to jump in at any time. If you, as I'm, as I'm going through this, we're going through this, this episode and this kind of case study, um, feel free to jump in if something that I say sticks out and you, and you want to get a thought out for sure. Yeah. So, um, and this goes back to kind of what Don was saying about, we have different data structures, different types of software that off the shelf that would be doing this. Um, the most common approach is going to take place with this is, you might have your account admins or whoever the administrators are on some tool adding in these bonuses, adding in these metrics you're trying to reach, right? They could be yep. in some web browser tool that they use. Um, and then you might have whoever's adding the routes um, do another management tool there. That doesn't mean the person doing the routes has to use the same exact tool. They don't have to log into that same exact web browser they probably want to log into the web browser. They're probably more on the, on the go, mobile. So a lot of times what we do is we have those, those source of truth, wherever for the routes, wherever for the bonuses, wherever for the accounts, and we'll, we'll bring them together in like a unified platform, either through something custom or so, through something that is um, off the shelf that does 99% what we want to do. And we'll, we'll ingest the data in there and put it into a format that is easier and more actionable for the for the drivers or whoever it is in this case. So that's kind of how we will look at that approach is we don't want to, all in one solutions are not always going to be there. So we want to make sure the end user that is actually doing this and you're trying to incentivize will actually use the app and actually want to use it. Yes, and, yeah. and that that that's a great that's a great point because because um, I know for a fact that uh, you know my sales reps uh, use a custom CRM that they don't love. And it's not easy to use. And it's not easy to use on their iPads or their mobile. And so they're always fighting with my managers going, why do I have to put my info into the CRM? That's a perfect example. Now, the CRM is great in that it's customized for our specific business, which is delivering uh, high-end wine, right? And, and, and spirits. Um, but it's not user-friendly and our reps don't love it. Um, some would go so far as to say they they really hate it. So uh, I think that what you're describing is to say, hey, listen, if, if we have these three different sets of data, we've got the route efficiency, we've got the uh, goals that you have to hit in each account, and then we have your bonuses. 
Um, you're saying if that data can be, uh, first consideration is being able to have that data entered from possibly multiple people by multiple in multiple sources. But then the key is to, to coalesce that data and bring it together in a scenario where the rep can simply open it up, something up on their phone and go, okay, I'm good to go. I know what my game plan is and I didn't have to do any planning. Is that, is that what you're, yeah. you're describing to me? And that's where we get into um, personas. So within the context of any application, there's multiple types of people that use it. We've talked a lot about the sales rep, um, but like Alex brought up, you know, you could have some sort of back office administrator who's adding details given by the uh, the vendors, the suppliers, to say, here's what these, you know, like bonus opportunities are, right? That may happen on a browser. So we we may. Uh, create tools depending on what persona needs what tool and where they're going to use it. So the sales reps, maybe they need like a, a, a slick mobile app where they have just the right nuggets of information in just the right places. And we've actually designed the whole workflow based on their activity. Conversely, We'll do the same thing for any kind of back office administrator who's going to be observing all of this performance and then start cutting checks so people get paid, right? Or maybe it's integrated into some kind of batch payment system that, and the admin just has to approve it all and then checks go out automatically, right? So there's, there's different elements for different personas, but you're exactly right. Um, we want to be mindful of what tools are we creating for whom and where do they want to go use those tools? And in the end, go ahead, Alex. Because in the end, we really just care about the outcomes of what we're trying to get to increasing the sales, increasing in, in how do we do that? Incentivize the, you know, people that are doing the routes to hit certain, you know, bonus, or whatever, because it incentivizes the whole business. In the end, we don't really care about what software is doing it as long as we're hitting our, outcomes you're looking for sure right and and again that goes back to the whole thing of like it's 2022 we don't need to build software from the ground up we just need it to work and accomplish the goal and if we can do that that's that's fine so is what's the biggest um what's the biggest kind of variable if i'm sitting here going okay well that all sounds good i understand kind of the concept of what you're describing what's the biggest variable in the development of a software like this not working well. I mean, obviously, uh, if I'm if I'm the, the the wine distributor, I have to give you access to my logistics so that we can pull that information. We have to give you access to you know in real time, be able to pull up stats when uh, an account places an order, and that needs to update in this system. So there's some uh, you know talking between my company systems and this new software. That needs to happen. Um, but beyond that, what what are those important kind of variables that could make a, a software development project like this crash and burn? There are two principles that we haven't talked about, which is not the biggest necessarily, but are important. And it's it's really just how many users are going to use this. What scale does this need to accomplish? You know, if this is for ten people. We may take one approach. If this is for ten thousand we would probably take a very different approach, right? If the 10 is gonna to grow to 100 inside of two years, maybe we'll plan for 
you know, a hundred or two. Right. If if the a hundred is going to grow to five thousand, you, you know, now we're going to get into some different scale discussions, right? So that is impactful. Yeah. Um, not cr- not you know, it's not, it's not so critical much. because 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 yeah. the end result is essentially the same. We're still talking about the same process, but but it but it is impactful. Yeah. Um, but what you started to get into around integrating with other tools is really kind of um, the what, X factor. What I'd re- yeah, the lowest common denominator of sorts. So yeah. is this going to be an all-in-one solution or does this have to play nice in the sandbox with a bunch of other tools? Well, it would have to play nice in the sandbox because whatever I'm developing isn't going to take over my inventory management and knowing who's ordered what, right? So from, so the default would, uh, well, okay. That's, I had not considered that Don. So tell me about that. So it goes back to what I mentioned sort of early on that, you know, there's a sales element and there's a field service element, you know, inventory supports field service. That inventory is going to go somewhere, right? So it needs to be in a holding facility at some point and be, you know, tracked and logged and monitored, um, especially if you have multiple locations. But it's the same consideration. So basically, without getting too into the weeds, like, is the is the organization growing, and is there already a perhaps across the board need to adopt a more holistic tool that does everything? Or we're not really expecting to grow scale-wise, even though we want to incentivize people to do things better. We want to allow them to earn more money. You know, we'd like to have the right tools for the right job, but we don't need to reinvent the wheel. We just need this extra little add-on that is sort of the right incentive tool as opposed to kind of a basic CRM type tool. You see the difference between that? Yes, I do. I mean, I think that um, if I'm if I'm a if I'm a business owner trying to solve this problem, the idea, I, I guess, I guess it's hard to wrap my head around building a completely new thing from the ground up, right? For for all of those, I mean, because I already have the data. My my thought would be, hey, I already have the data sets; it already works. We just need to feed it into something and basically spit out a beautiful report for each sales rep every week and every single day of that week to say, this is what your priorities are today. Don't think you just need to be in XYZ town at this account at this time. And if you run your day like this, you're probably going to hit your number. So to me, the thought would be, um, but, but I guess that's, de- but, but, but that's also if I like my current systems, because I'm assuming, and this is a big assumption, um, cause you know, I'm a, the owner of a wine distributor. I'm not a, uh, you know, a, 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 a technological, um, uh, you know, uh, genius. Um, when you're talking about, uh, trying to create a software like this, um, I would assume that whatever software I'm currently using can, can talk to anything we need to feed into it. Right. I mean, they're, they're, maybe, I'm assuming, but maybe not. Okay, so tell me about like, let's say I, I say to you, hey, Don, I've got my logistics system that, um, you know, handles uh, or my, my inventory system that handles knowing what we have in the warehouse and, uh, you know, what retailers have ordered which products. 
I'm sure that you can create something for our softwares to talk back to one another. What are scenarios where that wouldn't be the case? Years ago, um, I was a part of a project for an e-commerce site. And, you know, like many sort of e-commerce sites, they did clothing, did apparel, they did a bunch of stuff, right? Um, but they were just old enough to where they had a very outdated inventory system. Like um, AS400, you know, old, old IBM technology that, you know, only huge corporations pay to like keep up to date just so that they don't have to wholesale replace it with something. So, but this was not a huge company. So it was possible to create a connector from that to a more, way more modern, you know, tool and e-commerce site to sort of like read the inventory levels and add, subtract, you know, do the sort of various sort of accounting to, to manage that. But it's, it's expensive, it's error prone, it's a giant Band-Aid as opposed to a little Band-Aid. Um, but it's not very future proofing. So eventually, you know, that AS400 or whatever this old tool is will need to be replaced. So right. again, this goes back to scale and yep. how many people and yep. kind of what's your budget and what is your future roadmap? So not to get into like a whole, you know, organizational planning therapy session, but um, if you're a company of 10,000, we would have this discussion. If you're a company sure. of a hundred and you're not going to grow your headcount, but you know, 2% a year, mm. um, then yeah, it can just be its own sort of separate side app that if, as long as it integrates with, you know, some of these other tools, that's a great solution. Right. There's no and, reason and, to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And in some cases, you just don't know what that's going to look like until you start down the path and start trying to, until you look under the hood, you, exactly. you don't really know the answer to that. And, and I guess the other the other question about it would be not only the scale piece of it, like you said, but also um, the, another variable is how old is the software that I'm using? You know, how old is my inventory software? Because we've talked about end of life before, right? Like yep. what's, you know, is your, is your software about to fall off a cliff? Um, you know, it's yep. working great now, but there's something that's coming in another year and a half that I don't know about as a, as a non-technologically advanced business owner that's going to render my current infrastructure obsolete. And so, hey, I'm going to have to rebuild something anyway. Yep. So what does that look like if I'm trying to say to you, okay, well, Don, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I think what we have for inventory, I think what we have for bonus tracking is pretty good, um, but I, I'm not really sure. Just walk me through quickly as we, as we end this episode about what it would look like to kind of you know, poke under the hood and see a, you know, how, how old my software is and is it nearing the end of its life and do I need a new solution? And then B, the process of my current uh, software that houses these different data sets that I want to feed into this app for my sales reps. Um, how well does, does my current software infrastructure talk to whatever I'm thinking about building? What, what, what does that process look like for peeking under the hood? I'm going to throw this to Alex. Um, and I mean, the first thing that we'd explore is are, are these tools 
Um, do they have external APIs? You know, do they have an integration point that's built in to expect this kind of thing? Or are we going to have to sort of roll up our sleeves and do it the hard way? Um, so Alex, why don't you kind of explain what specifically that looks like um, to give an idea of like, should we or shouldn't we try to integrate with this? Yeah, so tools playing nice to each other is relatively new in technology in the, in the whole. A lot of everything was closed ecosystems, uh, especially in the past. This whole open ecosystem, everything plays nice together is, you know, pretty new still. So a lot of that stuff is still there. So if you had your CRM for, you know, 20 years, whatever, a lot of times it's, it's pretty hard to work with. So things we have to look for is working with whoever your sales rep is to figure out, do they have a API we can use? They have a private API we can use. Sometimes it's pay to play. Is that extra cost of getting the API keys to work there worth the cost of us you know, integrating them? Um, there's a whole big discovery period going down that route. And sometimes it's not even API. Sometimes you have a database that we are going to try to um, connect directly to. How does that affect your updates when you get software updates? Do we have to worry about that? There's a whole you know, plethora of things we have to now consider and put into our plans of what these integrations look like when we start digging in. Um, and some of these times they're easy questions and they have an open API. It's a five minute question. Sometimes it's a lot longer. Um, and then from there, uh, we have to start talking about what do we really care about from the system versus what do we, is this, is this fluff? You know, um, getting in there and figuring out, we don't want to pull everything. We don't really care about getting updates on everything. What is the actual core entities and core data that we care about pulling out of these systems? Um, it's a lot of times it's conversations with um, watching your users, watching how they work with the systems and figuring it out. Uh, it's always going to be a discovery period. And coming from that discovery period, we usually have a good idea of, A, are we going to use this tool? And if we're not going to use it, are we going to use part of it or are we going to replace it? Um, and then the kind of roadmap and uh, pros and cons with that. Um, and also, well, usually there's more than one option of what this looks like of integrating versus rebuilding versus replacing. And they each have their own cost. So one of the things we always ask is, what is the return on investment you're looking for this? And does it make sense for what option? Um, so there's a huge discovery period that goes into that. Got it. One more thing I'd love for you to talk about. That was perfect. Um, could you also explain in this whole theme of like playing in the sandbox, identifying and respecting the source of truth? Yeah. So the source of truth is something you will hear all the time when you when you talk with us. Um, data has become more and more prevalent in every business. And what we have starting to find out is we share data across many different platforms. So let's take a very common um, scenario of identity. So you at your business have many line of business applications that you log into, maybe your email, maybe your custom app to track CRM stuff, your custom app to track routes, all this kind of stuff. And every single one of the systems has information about you, your name, your position, your um, office, email where you address. Live, all that kind of stuff, email address. So with all this information spread out across many different systems, what happens when you get married, your last name changes, or you change your email address? How does that work on a, on a distributed system with integrations? Well, you really got to figure out 
who is really the source of truth for your identity or whatever information it is, so your building information. And that is always one of the hardest things to figure out when we talk to each other, when we talk to different systems. So nailing that earlier on is always gonna make everything easier and having that documented because we always know where to go to get employee information. We always know where to go to get customer information. We always know where to go get XYZ route information. Got it. It's another important principle when we start uh, bringing data together from multiple places, the next thing that we're gonna be asked is, well, can I update it from here too? So now you have to understand, okay, well, which of these data sources should you be updating? How do they can how do they communicate with one another to respect the source of truth? Right, right, right. So yeah, and really, like logistics, you know, inventory example, yeah. you know, you may be pulling in data of inventory from one tool, and then you see CRM data from another tool, and then and you know, these are all the different sources of data, right? If you have an inventory system that we're gonna pull data from to sort of show this incentive, you know, structure or model. Um you know, eventually we're going to have to write data somewhere to say, hey, I went to this location. I saw that there's still, you know, three cases left out of the 10 that I, you know, sold here last time. Um, you know, the next question that we're always asked is, well, I don't want to use the old tool anymore. Can I just enter the new information from this new cool tool? Okay, well, sure. But that's another level of how well does this tool play in the sandbox? Right, right, right. Yeah, and I think that at the end of the day, Look, that's one of the things that Architect now does really well is the ability to kind of have that discovery process to do the therapy session, as you described about, these are all the things that we could do. What are the things that are really important? What is the minimum viable product of your idea, you know, to solve this problem that you have as a business or as an organization? And if we start with these five features, then over the next two years, we could build in the next 15. But, you know, it's really about... I think there's in, in the software development world, I think there's a lot of people that are excited about the big project uh, dollar tickets. And so they want to do everything at once. And sometimes that's oftentimes to the detriment of the customer because you're trying to pack too much in without doing a stutter step approach to really figure out if you have a solid foundation for that software being built. And I think that that's one of the things that you guys do incredibly well. Um, and so I think that, you know, as we wrap up this episode, for 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 the listeners to think about put put yourselves in the shoes of this uh, this fictional wine distributor that we've been talking about that I've been uh, playing um, to to great success and I think it's rave reviews um, uh, everybody tells me it's great um, it, you know being able to 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 think about where in your business are you really losing productivity where are you losing efficiency and what what are the, the the problems that you wish you could wave that magic wand over and be able to have them fixed that would instantly transform the way that your day-to-day -day workflow happens? Um, it, that That's really where the whole conversation about custom software solutions starts. And the, the, the thing to remember in 2022 is that it's not a scenario where you have to build a piece of software from scratch and have this painful process like it used to be uh, you know, a decade and a half ago. It's a lot different now. There's a lot more agility. There's a lot greater opportunity for apps and software to talk to one, to, to one another and pull in different data sets. And um, 
if I were an organization uh, or a business in 2022, I would be elated at the possibility that there are people like Architect Now whose entire uh, you know, existence is based around solving these kinds of problems. So I think it's worth doing those deep dives into your organizational structure and operations to be able to say, where can I really improve and what would really move the needle for me um, in my business? So this is a great episode. Uh, Alex and Don, we appreciate your time and we will see you all on the next episode of Newsflash, you're a software company. Thanks, Corey. This podcast is presented to you by Architect Now. Whether launching new cloud or mobile apps or modernizing your legacy platforms, Architect Now can help you identify the best options and work with you to bring those ideas to life. If you like the information in this podcast, we can assure you it is only a fraction of the actionable wisdom and insights you will gain by talking to the team at Architect Now. To learn more and start a conversation, visit us on the web at www.architectnow.net. We'll see you on the next episode of the Newsflash, you're a software company podcast.